So um, I'm uh, Pat Hickman and the pastor here, and we are continuing our series in the book of Proverbs, looking at wisdom. And uh, we have defined wisdom as being skilled in the art of godly living, or even specifically being skilled in the art of godly relationships. And we find ourselves this week looking at passages you may have guessed about wealth, our finances, our money. Uh, we could use all of those things uh, interchangeably. And I, I thought it's, it's uh, been a while since we've done this, um, and we don't often break into groups, but maybe we'll just turn to the people around us, and we're going to share how much money we make. And then um, maybe if there's time at the end, we'll, we'll have a time of like sharing what you spend it on. Like, so budgeted items, how much you spend eating out. We're not going to do that. We're not going to... Uh, and if you actually thought, oh my goodness, we're going to do that, you, you might have thought, oh no. Like, that's really personal, right? Like, we don't, we don't, we don't talk about that. Uh, we talk about money sometimes in general, um, general terms and general ideas. And we're not going to talk about in the, spe- the specifics of any of our budgets this morning. But I think, I hope that we actually do think about that coming out of this. And I would encourage, even if it's not in the midst of random conversation on Sunday morning, actual conversations with people about your own specific finances. That's actually, just side note, something that would be helpful. Uh, But here's the reality. We think about our finances as intensely, it's one of the most personal things. We we would, we do not talk about how much money we make. Again, that's really personal. It's money that I earned and it's none of your business. That's typically uh, the way that, that we think about it in our culture. And I want to challenge and push against that a bit. Uh, to recognize, in fact, what we find in Scripture is that our money, that our finances, that our wealth is absolutely 100% part of relationship. And so wisdom being skilled in the art of godly relationships, that actually our wealth is something that matters intensely uh, in that realm that it absolutely is relational. And we're going to see the way that it's relational in a few different ways. There are going to be two points this morning. And the first is that it uh, is, the first point is it's not just money. And the second point is it's just money. So it's not just money, it's just money. Let me pray for us and we'll take a look. Lord, we thank you for your word. And we pray that you would shape us by your word, not mine, by your word to think about our money, our finances, our wealth in healthy, God-honoring ways of what you call us to do with our money, that we might flourish as your creatures. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's not just money. Uh, There's a movie uh, from 2011 called um, Margin Call, and uh, a number of stars in it. uh, It it follows a, a group that works in a financial company in 2008 when the housing market crashed. And they're in the midst of this moment where they recognize that their company is about to fall apart unless they do a few things, some really big sell-offs in a very short amount of time before people realize that they're worthless. And and it's, it's very clear that for them to do this is going to enrich themselves and hurt many other people. I mean, this is common story in the midst of uh, major financial crises and 
uh, and big companies of, uh, on Wall Street. It's, you know, uh, this is the story as they're talking about doing this thing. And there's a moment where one of the executives comes to the CEO, CEO played by Jeremy Irons, and he's like, I can't do it anymore. Like, he's feeling super guilty, and he says, I'm, I'm going to quit. I, I can't continue to do this. He's been doing it for, for decades just in the financial industry, but this thing that they're doing at that moment has just put so much pressure on his moral compass that he says, I've got to quit. Well, Jeremy Irons goes into this long speech where he says, among other things, it's just money. It's just images printed on a piece of paper. It doesn't have any value in and of itself. Uh, and, and there are ups and downs. If we look throughout history and markets crashing and there's those who have and those who don't and the percentages stay the same. And it's this long speech justifying for himself his ability to, to basically not care about other people and care about himself. And in the midst of that, you know, because of everything that's going on, you know that it's, that yes, that money, like actual cash money, which we rarely use anymore, but uh, that it is just paper with pictures on it, right? And yet you also know that something really significant is happening, that it's not just money, that there are lives uh, affected, that there are people who are going to end up without homes and without jobs, and they're going to have relationships broken as a result. And so it's not just money. Even as he's saying the speech that on one level sounds really good, you know as the viewer that it is not just money. And as we look here in God's word, we find that that is true, not only here in Proverbs, but throughout. Jesus talks a lot about money, a lot about wealth. Uh, the, the word of God tells us a lot about the ways that we should think about and spend our finances. And, and actually, in these passages, notes that it is actually intensely relational. And it's relational between us and the Lord. That is, as we've talked about here in Proverbs and anytime we look at the Old Testament, between us and Yahweh. Yahweh is that name that God uses for himself that is a personal name. It can also be translated I am, but it is this I will be your God and you will be my people. I want relationship with you. That's the story from the beginning to the end is God wanting relationship with his people. He's not just this distant God and that word, and that is often an appropriate word to use, but here it's Yahweh. I want relationship with you. I am the God who wants to be your God and I want you to be my people. So our relationship with Yahweh is affected. Our relationship with one another is affected and our relationship with ourselves. We recognize that we have relationship even within ourselves and we sometimes even disagree with ourselves or struggle to do the things that we want to do or don't do the things that we want to do all those kind of things uh, but our finances affect all of those relationships the first we see is that it affects our relationship to Yahweh to the Lord chapter 3 verse 9 honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. There's a call to honor Yahweh, to honor the relationship that we have with him. And we talk about this every week. We take up an offering or we don't physically take it up anymore. We have the QR code. But we note that even with it just being a QR code and a lot of people, uh, us included, who have giving just set to automatically withdraw from our accounts that there's a tendency to think of it as just this logistical thing. And the reminder is it's a part of the worship service because it's an actual act of worship. Giving to the Lord uh, is an act of worship. It's an honor. It's honoring to him. 
And we do well to think of it in those terms. Again, not just taking care of logistics of the church or logistics of a ministry that we might support, that it is actually an opportunity to recognize that he is our maker, that he is our creator, that all that we have is from him, and we're recognizing that by giving it some of that back to, to him, to his, to his church, and to the ministry that, that comes as his kingdom moves forward. It is honoring to him, and we're called to do that. Now, we've talked about this with wisdom and and the Proverbs, the book of Proverbs, being these uh, normative statements given. So there comes with this call to honor the Lord, a promise. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Uh, to be clear, it's not a, a mechanical statement of every time you do this, this is the result. There is a, a general, uh, when we follow these things, there, there is blessing involved. And even the way that that blessing comes uh, in Scripture is often very different from the way that we think it should come. So to be clear, this is not if you give $10 to the Lord or to the church, then you're going to get $100 back. Uh, and, and you may have heard those things in churches or televangelists or whatever it may be, but uh, that is not what, what's happening here. And we find other wisdom books that talk about the times when things uh, don't always happen in the way that we think they should or want them to, Ecclesiastes and Job and those kind of things. But we do find here this, uh, this call to honor the Lord that there is ultimately covenant blessing that comes in being uh, faithful to him and recognizing him as the giver of all things good. And, and we do, when we, when we recognize that our finances are first and foremost tied to our relationship with the Lord, we're recognizing what we've said about wisdom all along that it is founded in what chapter 1, verse 7, and chapter 9, verse 10 tell us is the fear of the Lord. Wisdom and knowledge is founded on the fear of the Lord. And the fear of the Lord being right relationship with him. It's not just being scared of the Lord. It's a whole uh, phrase that fits together that we understand is what it means to be in right, right relationship with our creator who wants relationship with us, who is Yahweh, not only the creator God, but relational God, Father God, uh, and that wisdom flows from that and that the way that we do not only our spending and thinking about finances, but the way that we do all of life comes in relationship to him. So if we think about, I have some decision to make about the way that I'm going to spend my money, do we think about how does my relationship with the Lord affect this? And maybe particularly on big things, but even on smaller things, how does my relationship with Yahweh, with the Lord, with Jesus Christ, how does that affect the way that I think about spending? And that can feel a little heavy, right? A little heavy-handed that I would be thinking about uh, my relationship with the Lord on all of my spending. But really, what wisdom tells us, and what all of Scripture tells us, is that everything we do, not just our finances, but our relationships and our jobs, and everything that we do should be affected by our relationship with the Lord, do we think, take time to think about that reality? What does it mean then to honor the Lord? How do, how do we do that maybe? Well, we see some of it hinted at here in the second half of verse 9. And with the first fruits of all your produce. You're honoring the Lord with your wealth and the first fruits of all your produce. This is hearkening back to Exodus and Deuteronomy, the call to, to give the first of our harvest, the first of our gain. And for us, that's not... Uh, produce typically 
not a lot of farmers out here, but this is, you know, what, what we get, we give back the first of it. We don't wait until we have some left over. And this then flows into the biblical idea of the tithe, which at, at some points in scripture is given to us as we give 10% of, of what we have uh, to the Lord. Now, I, I'm going to say a, a couple of things that I, I don't call hard and fast rules. There are some gray areas in scripture, but this is going to be my encouragement to you is that in the Old Testament, we find this idea of the tithe, the 10%. In the New Testament, we don't see the tithe mentioned. But I think what we see is actually a growth in a call to generosity. I think there's actually an assumption of the tithe and maybe an encouragement to give beyond that. And so uh, my encouragement is to think about giving 10% of your income uh, to, to the Lord. Now, uh, Gary Boring, uh, when we would do some of our conversations about our budget, would uh, talk about the fact it was really encouraging. He would talk about the fact that, um, that if you give 10%, that uh, he, he would guarantee uh, that he actually referenced a church he'd been a part of who said uh, they gave a money back guarantee. If you give 10% and you get to the end of the year and, and you're struggling, you need, we'll, we'll give the money back. We as a church, we never did a money-back guarantee. But uh, one of the things that uh, Gary said was, you, you're not going to be disappointed. You're not going to get to the end of the year and be sorry that you gave uh, 10%. And, uh, and I, I would say the same thing. You're not going to be sorry if you make that step. And uh, if you're young and you are just starting to make money uh, or you're about to, I, I would encourage you to, to make that a habit, to, to create that habit of, of giving early so that uh, it becomes a habit in your life. And I'm going to tell you, and again, it's not if you give 10%, God's going to give you 100 more, right? That's, that's not the promise here. But I think, I believe that you will be glad that you did. Uh, now, I will also say that as my second point is that I think throughout Scripture, the assumption is that you're giving to God's people where you experience community, where you experience the body of Christ, the uh, people of God. Uh, my encouragement is that you give that uh, to the church. So that's the place that you would start to, to think of generosity to other organizations beyond that. I say that. I think that's a, a biblical principle. And, uh, and many of you also know I don't keep up with the finances of our church. So I'm not checking up on anybody on this. I don't know who gives, much less how much they give. I do think it's an issue of discipleship. So it might come up in conversation. It's not a normal conversation. But it, it's good conversation to have with one another of how we're following the Lord. But I'm not checking up on you as I give those encouragements. Uh, I, I think um, it's, those are encouragements that I do think come from the word of God. This is one of the ways in which we honor the Lord in our, uh, in our giving and think about our wealth. So that's honor the Lord. Uh, that's relationship with him. Uh, the second way that uh, the money does matter is in our relationship with others. So there's this call in chapter 14, verse 31, to be generous. Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker. Again, we remember that the Proverbs are given to us because there is a moral and spiritual order to the world in which he created. and He's giving us direction there. And so one of the things that is a part of that, one of the ways in which we flourish is to not oppress the poor, but to be generous to the needy. And this honors our maker. So... Don't oppress the poor man, but he who is generous, generous to the needy, honors him. 
We're called to be generous with one another to those particularly noted here that are in need. And and this is a theme that, that is not just in Proverbs. Jesus talks about it being generous uh, with others. The poor widow gives generously. We care for the poor, Matthew 6, out of our heart, not for show. That uh, we see this picked up on, and in, uh, in, uh, Jesus also says it's better to give than to receive. But then Paul picks up on this theme of generosity, that we give from the heart, not by compulsion. God loves a cheerful giver, 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Be generous and willing to share, 1 Timothy 6, 18. These are, are themes <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> that continue throughout Scripture that we find here as a part of being wise with our finances, that we care for others. And, and we as a church try to think about this as a church, but it's also an encouragement to think about this as, as individuals. We have, uh, uh, at this point, a mercy team that is smaller than it was, and one of the ways to think about this uh, as a church is for other people to think about joining what you're going to be hearing over the next number of weeks. We would like more people to join the Mercy Team to help us as a church think about how we engage physical felt needs of our community. Not only this community, that's part of it, but also those that are in our neighborhood and surrounding area. One of the ways uh, to engage in this is to be a part of the Mercy Team. Again, more to come on that in the next few weeks. If, you, if that's really on your mind right now, then uh, easily would love to talk to you uh, after this. I would too, but Ben as well. Um, but also thinking about how we as individuals uh, think about our own time, resources, gifting, but also our money. Where are places that we might give? And, and encouragement to think about evaluating our budget. Maybe you don't have a budget, so just evaluating how you spend money. Uh, this, I think, is something that we should do regularly. I mean, we, we might be doing it in light of the fact that gas prices are supposed to be rising and energy prices are going to be cost more this winter to heat our homes and uh, inflation, all those things. We're thinking, okay, where should I spend money and not spend money? And uh, my encouragement is as you're doing that and really always thinking about evaluating our spending, our giving, our money in light of relationship with the Lord. The last point uh, of of it being not just money uh, is that it affects our relationship our, with ourselves, our own relationships. It does matter. Money matters. So that if in chapter 30 here, um, we find a request that Augur, who is writing chapter 30, uh, says, um, this is a great chapter. You know, so it's a great name if you're looking for baby names, Augur. Um, Two things I ask of you, deny them not before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. And then in uh, the end of verse 9, he notes that lest I be poor to have poverty and steal and profane the name of my God. He, he recognizes that he needs some finances to care for his needs. and it, Otherwise, he might be tempted to steal and profane the name of the Lord, to break relationship with the Lord. So there is a recognition that the scripture is giving us that, that money does matter, that it has effects in real life. It's why we need to be generous with the needy in particular, because it meets our needs. That's the, hence the word needy. Now, we often confuse wants and needs and all of that, but there are needs that we have, and 
we use money to care for those things. And so there's some appropriate level of seeking, as we pray in the Lord's Prayer every week, our daily bread. That's appropriate. But what we find here and what we find throughout Scripture is actually seeking our needs, our ability to be content. Because he also notes, and we'll talk about this in a moment, but that he doesn't want to be rich because there are temptations that come with that. He wants to be content with uh, enough, right? And, and we find this theme picked up on as well in the New Testament. Uh, Paul, when he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, is talking very specifically about the very difficult task of contentment. So he's not talking about, if you've ever been in like a, to a Christian camp or a Christian gym and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me is in a gym, right? I can lift this weight. Through, that's, not, that's not what that scripture is saying. But it is saying something actually even more difficult, that I can be content through Christ who strengthens me. And that's what uh, the writer of Proverbs 30 here is, is looking for. He's looking to be content with enough, with the right amount, with his needs met. And, uh, and that's what we should be seeking because there is the temptation that comes to think that it is more than it is. It's not, you know, it's not just money. It does have impact. But when we put too much weight on it, we need to be reminded it's just money. And that's the second point. It's just money. Don't put too much weight onto it. We are so tempted to think that it is the thing that is going to solve my problems. I mean, we have all kinds of of anxiety around finances. And, it, and, and, and studies and conversations will tell you it doesn't matter how much money you have, finances are a point of anxiety. There's a, a great book, uh, Paul Tripp, who's written many great books as a counselor, and uh, I recommend pretty much anything he's written, but he has a book called Sex and Money. Because those are the uh, two, th- it's about marriage, and it's, those are the two things where we find the most stress, the, the points of contention. But I, I think what he's playing off of is the fact that those are two topics that, that bring stress and anxiety in all of life, whether we're married or not. We have all kinds of stress around money because we put too much emphasis on it. We think that it's actually going to solve our problems, our worries, our anxieties. And, and yet what we find uh, promised from the Lord in his word is that it is not going to solve our problems. And we also find in experience that more money doesn't solve all of our problems, that it often brings more with it. And in fact, it takes imagination. It takes wishful thinking to think that money is going to bring us security in verse Chapter 18, verse 10 through 12, the name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous man runs into it and is safe. There is security in the name of the Lord. goes on to say a rich man's wealth and the rich man often in the book of Proverbs is somebody who trusts in his wealth and does not trust in God. A rich man's wealth is his strong city and like a high wall in his imagination. And it is only in his imagination. It is not actual security. It is not actual hope. It will not bring him the security that he desires. There's a a fascinating article in the Chicago Tribune in 1995 about a man named Russell Herman. 
uh, an Illinois resident who died in 1994, and he left a will that was incredibly generous. And the article actually starts off with interviewing a mayor of a small city who had been left millions of dollars in this will. In addition to uh, $2.5 billion left to the city of East St. Louis, a struggling city uh, just across the river from St. Louis, um, there was over $2 billion given to uh, the, the parks in the state. And there was all this conversation about all of this money that was left. The problem was that when Richard Herman died, the only thing that he had of any value to his name was apparently joint ownership in a 1983 Oldsmobile, which wasn't very valuable. So it starts off interviewing this mayor, all the things he could do with the money that was left in this will, and yet there was no money. The will didn't matter, right? There was no basis to put hope in this piece of paper that leaves all of this money because there was no money there. And, you know, we, we, we think about this, and it's not that there's just no money there. Our problem is that we think that even if the money were there, that it would bring security, that it would bring hope. And what we're told again and again is that that is not true. We're tempted, even despite, we've heard this, like if we've grown up in the church, or even if we haven't, this is, this is not an uncommon refrain to, to hear that money won't solve everything, that money can't buy happiness, all that, we know those things in our head, right? And yet, we're still tempted to believe it. We're actually like Richard Herman's estranged ex-wife who had heard about the will and been able to read the will and then told, actually, there's no money. And she was married to him, so she would know that he was just a carpenter and didn't have any resources. But she then convinced herself, along with apparently a lot of other people all over the country, that this, there was a government conspiracy that was holding, over, holding on to Richard's wealth and just not releasing it to all the people that were named in the will. To the point where she and others convinced thousands of people to bombard the courts with letters claiming that money. And there was no basis for it. Even though it was clear that there was no basis for it, there was such a desire to believe that it was true that, that the strange wife made up these stories in her head. We do this all the time. We've heard all these truths about money, and yet we still think it's going to solve our problems. We still struggle with this reality, and we need to be reminded again and again and again that that is not the case, that there is not hope here. There's not hope in money. We, we, we've, we've heard, Matthew 6, that uh, we're called to store up for ourselves uh, treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal instead of doing it on earth where those things do happen. We, we've We've heard those truths, and yet we're still tempted to believe these things and to put our hope in our surroundings and our finances and the things that we have. Not only do earthly riches not gain us the security that we hope, we're, we're also told this encouraging truth in chapter 8, verses 18 and 19, that there's something greater with the Lord. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness my fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, and my yield than choice silver. And this chapter 8 is, is wisdom personified. Lady Wisdom speaking about the fact that 
that her fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, and my yield than choice silver. Wisdom, which is founded in the fear of the Lord, relationship with him, the place where there is true security. The name of the Lord is a strong tower, and a righteous man runs into it and is safe. Real hope lies here. James chapter 2, verse 5 says, Listen, my brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? The place where real hope lies, his kingdom, heirs of his promises, eternal relationship with him, that is where real hope lies. Because we do know as well the truth that we all die, that the death rate is, uh, last we checked, 100%. Every single one of us is going to die. And in that moment, riches mean nothing. And we know that in our head, and yet we forget it. But in light of that reality, in light of the fact that death comes, and it comes for every single one of us, that it will put to shame any wealth that we have, anything else that we've put our trust in, there is a promise that comes from the Lord and his wisdom that is not put to shame in death. The wisdom of God has come, 1 Corinthians 1.30, in the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, God himself has come into this world and he has told us that there is real treasure where moth and rust do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. And that is in him because we know that he conquers death. That he lived on this earth and he died but then he rose from the dead. We, we, we read of it in the New City Catechism. That he now, because of the resurrection, sits at the right hand of the Father. And that he will come to make all things right. He will return to make all things right. The one who has conquered death. That one thing that puts wealth and anything else that we trust in to shame. He has conquered death. So that in, even in death that comes for us all, we might have hope. And security. And that's what we're about to celebrate at the Lord's Supper. That what He has accomplished for us is drawing us into relationship with Him. And, and this recognition that we're not, gonna, we're not gonna get it together and okay, I'm not trusting in wealth. We're gonna continue to struggle with this. Again, we've heard these things, and yet we continue to struggle with it. And there will be moments where we fall into rebellion against God because we're trusting in our wealth or in finances rather than in Him. And in those moments, He meets us. He meets us in his death so that we might be forgiven of not trusting in him. Forgiven for not putting our hope in his security and not in the security of other things. Because of what he's done and not because of what we do. Because we're never going to get it fully right. And so we look to him and we hope and we trust in the one who works beyond all material things, beyond all material hopes, all things that we might be tempted to put our trust in. We put our trust in him and we find real hope. Let's pray.